You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. Good morning again. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to go to Matthew chapter 18 with me. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, as we kick off a new series today and along with it, a new practice. And if you are new to the church and therefore, or our church and therefore new to the idea of a practicing series, basically what happens as the church is two to three times a year, um, we pick a practice from the life and teaching of Jesus. We teach on it here. And then we practice it in the context of a missional community. And so in the past, we've talked about the practice of prayer and fasting, understanding your identity and calling. Uh, in the fall, we're going to do a whole practicing series on spiritual warfare. Uh, but for now, this time around, we are going to look at the practice of forgiveness, which I believe probably more than any other teaching or practice is straight out of the life and teachings of Jesus. And because I know that this is not going to be an easy topic uh, for some of us, I want to uh, just pray for us once again, and then we'll dive into our text. Let's just pray. Father, thank you so much for everyone who is here today. And right now, I, I just recognize that everybody is coming in here hurt, uh, hurt by life, uh, hurt by uh, those who are close to us, those some who have betrayed us, um, some who have spoken things to cut us down. God, we come in here with pain. And as a result, for some of us, we come in here with, with bitterness in our heart. Um, we have wounds that have become infected and have actually begun to rob us of the life that we were created to experience. And so, God, you are aware of every single one of these needs. You grieve over them. And I pray that um, Father, that you would, through the power of your Spirit, meet us, each and every single person, where we are, and that you would do what only you could do, that you would bring about healing that will help us become the men and women that we were created to be in you. And it's in Christ's name that we do pray and ask these things. Amen. If somebody will, um, could you shut those back doors? Would that be okay? And make sure we get those. Thank you all so much. Appreciate it. Well, on October 2nd, 2006, Charles Roberts walked into a one-room Amish schoolhouse, and he proceeded to shoot and kill 10 girls that were between the ages of 6 and 13 before then turning the gun on himself and taking his own life. And by that same evening, in the midst of their grief and pain over their incredible loss that I can barely even fathom, uh, the parents that lost kids not only publicly chose to extend forgiveness to this school shooter, but they then went to the school shooter's parents' house in order to comfort them in their loss. And basically what happened is they told these parents, hey, you know, we lost kids today, but you also lost a kid today. And we want you to know that we have forgiven your son, and we love you, and we will serve you any way that we can. A few days later, there was a funeral held for the school shooter, and reports tell us that there was actually more people from the Amish community in attendance at the funeral than there was a non-Amish in order to support this family who had lost the school shooter. Um, as you can imagine, in a story like this, reporters begin to flock to this little town and people begin to try to understand what were the motives behind this man walking into this school and killing these girls. And one of the most incredible details that began to surface was what they discovered was that Roberts himself, the school shooter, was tormented for nine years by the premature death of his young daughter. 
And what psychologists tell us is that it was out of bitterness that Roberts walked into a schoolroom with the intent to inflict pain, the same pain he didn't experience on these parents. And what's incredible about the story is in this amazing act of grace, rather than these Amish parents choosing to hold on to bitterness, they instead chose to extend forgiveness. And the reason I share that this morning is because, though I know this is an extreme case, the reality is because we live in a fallen world, all of us, in one way, shape, or another, will be hurt and sinned against by others. And sometimes this hurt, when it comes, it will be the result of a big event, whether it be abuse or abandonment, bullying or betrayal. Other times it will just be in the everyday, small, ordinary stuff of life, through that sarcastic remark that somebody makes, or a passive-aggressive text, or being ignored in a hallway. And what I want you to know this morning is that when you were hurt, not if you were hurt, but when you were hurt, what you need to understand is you actually have a choice, like this Amish family, to choose to forgive those who have hurt you, and therefore to experience the freedom you're longing for. You have the choice of, do I want to choose to forgive, or... Do I want to hold on to bitterness and as a result be enslaved to a life of hate and misery and even murder that will live inside of my heart? That's our choice. And you see, because Jesus knows this, because he knows how important this idea of forgiveness is, he spends a lot of time teaching on the importance of it. And there are many places that we can look today, but Matthew chapter 18 is the place that I want us to start. Matthew chapter 18, and if you'll look with me in verse 21... It says that Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Now, a little bit of a backstory here. In the first century, it was common rabbinic teaching that said that if your brother or sister sinned against you, that you were to forgive them up to seven times, but no more than that. Right? Because there's a cap. There's a limit. You don't need to be a doormat. You don't need to let people just walk all over you. So if they sin against you up to seven times, you are to forgive. And then after that, no more. And my guess is because Peter, upon following Jesus for some time now, has uh, actually begun to to pick up on the fact that maybe Jesus does not buy into this whole seven-time limit. He asks, are we to forgive seven times? Then look how Jesus responds in verse 22. I tell you that you are to forgive not seven times, but 77 times. Or your translation might say 70 times seven. Now, I love this because this is teacher Jesus at his best. He's using hyperbole here to prove a point, And his point is this. His point is not to say when it comes to people sinning against you that you're to keep a spreadsheet and you're to say, okay, that's 491 times, so now I'm off the hook. right? So you kick your, 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 your spouse to the curb or whatever. That is not... Jesus's point, but rather what he is saying here is that when it comes to forgiveness, there actually should not be a limit. There should not be a cap on how many times you forgive someone when they sin against you. And I don't know if you're like me, but whenever I hear this, like my inner lawyer goes off and I'm like, objection, right? Because like clearly Jesus, like you don't know what all I've gone through. Like, you don't know how bad this person has hurt me or what they have taken from me. And what we need to understand is Jesus, being a good teacher, he totally anticipates our objection. He sees it coming from a mile away, and he decides to tell us a story. And Here's the story, verse 23. Therefore, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. 
As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Economists tell us that this would be equivalent today to 10, or I'm sorry, to $3 trillion worth of debt. So, I mean, this is an amount that is just right on the edge of what there is even a number for. So the idea here is this man has accrued a debt against his master that nobody could pay. Like, not even Jeff Bezos from Amazon or Bill Gates. Like, this is an incredible amount of money. In verse 25, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that they had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him and said, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay everything back. Now, this is actually laughable. Uh, Those who would have heard the story actually would have laughed because what Jesus is saying here is for this man to pay this amount back would be like a minimum wage McDonald's employee saying, hey, if you'll give me some time, I'll get you your three trillion dollars. Right, that's what, that's what this is equivalent to. And so at this though, look, verse 26, the servant fell on his knees before him, be patient with me. He said, I'll pay everything back. But verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him and he canceled the debt, or the word can be translated there, he forgave the debt and let him go. Verse 28, but when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. This is equivalent to three months wages. So it's a lot of money, but it can totally be paid back. And he grabbed him and began to choke him. And he said, pay back what you owe to me. He demanded it. And his fellow servant fell on his knees and he begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But look at this. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. And the master called his servant in and said, you wicked servant. I canceled all of your debt, the trillions of dollars, because you begged me. Should you not have also had mercy on this fellow servant? I mean, he just owed you three months of wages. Like, if I canceled your trillions of dollars, shouldn't you have at least canceled his three months of wages? Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And then Jesus said this, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. Meaning... When it comes to forgiveness, lip service alone is not enough. Just saying, yeah, I forgive you. I'm wiping my hands clean like let bygones. Just saying that is not going to cut it. Because according to Jesus, you must find a way to actually forgive someone from the depths of your heart. Because according to him, if you don't, if rather than forgiving those who hurt you, you decide instead to hang on to bitterness in your heart, to make them pay for your for their sins against you, then according to Jesus, he said, well, then my heavenly Father will make you pay for your sins against him. So clearly, this, is, uh, this idea of forgiveness is a pretty big deal to God. Could we all agree? Um, I think of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6, and this is in the Lord's Prayer, people, in the Sermon on the Mount, right? A very important part of Jesus' teaching. And at the end of the Lord's Prayer, he says this in chapter 6, verse 14. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others of their sins, your Father will not forgive you of your sins. Can we all disagree that seems pretty harsh? (laughs) 
Like that doesn't seem very gracious. Like I, I read that and I think, man, some of you in here, you have been sinned against in horrific ways. Some of you carry a pain and a hurt that I cannot imagine. And Jesus, though fully aware of your pain and hurt, says in here, if you do not learn to forgive those who sinned against you, I will not, or my Father will not forgive you when you sin against him. What is this all about? I mean, whatever happened to we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. This almost seems like works righteousness. So what's happening here? Well, ultimately what Jesus is getting at is this idea that forgiven people forgive people. Put another way, if you really believe that your sin against God is worse than anybody else's sin against you, and that God has forgiven you completely of your sin against him, then you cannot not forgive others of their sins against you. And what Jesus is saying here is one way that you can know that you have received complete and total forgiveness of God, one way that you can know that is settled into the depths of your heart is you will be the kind of person who forgives others whenever they sin against you. And listen, I, I, I know like that is a hard pill to swallow. I know this is not easy. But what you have to understand today is please hear this. You cannot have a vibrant joy-filled, intimate relationship with God and hold on to bitterness. You can't. It's impossible. And this is not just something that we read about in the Gospels. This is really all over the Scriptures. Um, I think about Paul's words in Ephesians. And if you've never read Ephesians, Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus. And in the first three chapters, he's just talking about who God is and what he's done for them. And in the next three chapters, he talks about how, how that changes who you are and how you're called to live. And here's what he says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. He says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Okay, well, how do we keep from grieving the Holy Spirit of God? Listen to what he says next. Verse 31. Get rid of all of your bitterness and rage and anger, brawling, slander, along with every other form of malice. In other words, if you want to keep in step with the Holy Spirit, if you want to experience right now the intimate and powering presence of God in your life, what you have to realize is you cannot separate your relationship with your spouse or your ex-spouse or your parent or an employee or a person in your MC. You cannot separate your relationship with them from your relationship with God. It's all interconnected. This is why Jesus' end goal for us as his disciples is to grow us into the kind of people who are by nature forgiving people. Because when we choose not to forgive, we not only damage our horizontal relationship with one another, but we create a divide between our relation, our vertical relationship with God. And for some of you, what I would say this morning is that is why you feel so stuck right now when it comes to your faith. It is why God feels distant and far off. Because when there is a distance between you and someone else because of bitterness, there is automatically going to be a distance created between you and God. What well, Paul's saying, it's all interconnected. When you harbor rage or bitterness in your heart, he says you grieve the Holy Spirit. And that's why he goes on to say in verse 32, therefore be kind and compassionate to one another and forgiving each other. And listen to this next phrase. Just as Christ God forgave you. When Jesus asks you to forgive that person who hurt and sinned against you, do you know what? He is not asking you to do anything that he has not already first done for you. 
That's the motivation. That's the power behind why we forgive. I think about in Luke chapter 23, right before Jesus dies. He's on the cross. And you remember what one of the last things he prayed before he died was? He said this in Luke 23 verse 34. If you remember, he prayed, Father, strike them all dead. No. I, 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 I pay them back in full. No, it's not it. On the cross, Jesus speaking about his murderers, he said this, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Feel the full weight of that for a moment. I mean, here is Jesus dying on the cross, an innocent man carrying the full weight of injustice on his shoulders. And at his feet are not only men who are not at all sorry for crucifying him, but they're actually gambling away his clothes, stripping him even of his dignity right before his death. And the last words out of his mouth are, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. What the Apostle Paul is saying here in Ephesians 4 is you and I are to be just like that. When, not if, again, when you are hurt, when you are sinned against, rather than holding a grudge against that person, we are to pull, not from just the depths of our own being, but we are to pull from the ocean of grace that has been poured out on us through Jesus Christ, and we are to forgive others just as we have already been forgiven by God. Question is this morning, how do we do this? Like, what does this look like on a practical level? What does it really mean to forgive someone who has sinned against us? And before I answer that question, I want to, before I tell you what forgiveness is, let me tell you very quickly what forgiveness is not. And there's a whole lot of definitions out there of what forgiveness is. So before I tell you what forgiveness is, here's what forgiveness is not. And the first thing I want you to see is that forgiveness is not the same thing as forgetting. How many of you have heard the saying before, hey, just forgive and forget? That sounds really good, but if you've been alive for more than five minutes, you know that's impossible. Because we all have this thing called memory, which means that right now you can call to mind memories that are good and beautiful and true, but unfortunately, guess what? You also have memories in there that are ugly and painful. And there is not just a switch where all of a sudden you can turn those things off. So when it comes to forgiveness, please know this. The goal is not to forget the memory. The goal is to get to a place where that memory no longer takes you hostage and controls your emotions in a negative way. So forgiveness is not the same as forgetting. Secondly, forgiveness is not a feeling. There are times where you will need to forgive somebody over and against what you actually feel in that moment. Times where despite the fact you do not feel like forgiving the person, rather than being controlled by your emotions, you will need to choose to walk in step with the Holy Spirit, to just be obedient to what Christ has called you to do, even if you don't feel like it. Third, what you need to know is forgiveness is not excusing. Some of you don't want to forgive. You're like, if I forgive them, that's like I'm just saying it's perfectly okay what they did. That's not true. Forgiveness is not negating the fact that the person sinned against you. Forgiveness is not saying what that person did is not a big deal. But rather, forgiveness is looking evil in the face, calling it what it is, and in the midst of the horror and the pain, choosing to extend forgiveness. And please hear this, not because a person deserves to be forgiven. Forgiveness is always an act of unmerited grace. And so even if they don't deserve it, right? Even if they truly did sin against you in a horrific way, you're not excusing the sin whenever you forgive. 
Lastly, I would say this, forgiveness is not the same as reconciling. Um, when we have been sinned against, the, um, I think the goal should always be reconciliation. Right? The goal is for Christians to always live at peace with all people. However, listen, there are times where you do not need to let somebody back into your life. Does that make sense? There are times where wisdom will call for you to set boundaries that will protect you or your family or loved ones from repeated and habitual abuse. And so it's so important for you to hear that. Maybe some of you right now, you're in a very um, hostile relationship. You're being hurt. You didn't know forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Okay? So that's what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not forgetting. It is not simply a feeling. It is not excusing. It is not reconciling. So if that's what forgiveness is not... The next question is, what is forgiveness? And I think the best definition I've heard comes from Gary Brashears, and here's what he says. Forgiveness is the personal act to release the one who sinned against me from my personal right to collect on the payment of his or her offense and myself from bitterness and resentment. Let me say that again. Forgiveness is a personal act to release the one who sinned against me from my personal right to collect on the payment of his or her offense and myself from bitterness and resentment. I know it's a mouthful, so let me break that down for you. First off, when you understand this definition of the idea of forgiveness in Scripture, if you're going to forgive, you have to make a decision to release the person who has sinned against you. The word for forgiveness in the Gospels, which we read earlier, is the word aphani, which literally means to release or let go of. That's what forgiveness is all about. It's choosing, rather than hanging on to your right to pay the other person back for what they've done, whether it be through a cold shoulder or gossip or a Facebook post, it is instead releasing that person from the right to collect on that payment. It's releasing that person right in your heart to the God who always does what is good, right, and perfect. And I know like, like this is way easier said than done, right? Especially if you're like me. I'm a top three on the Enneagram, but my type one score is like right below a three. If you're like a type one on the Enneagram, and those of you who are taking it, you know what I'm talking about. Um, you know like you're a black and white type person. It's like this is right and this is wrong. And so therefore, like whenever you experience injustice, injustice, like if someone wrongs me, like my first thought is like, I want grace for me, but I want justice for you. So like if you cut me off, I need to cut you off. Right? I, I mean, like, if you did something bad and something bad deserves to happen to you, if you cost me something, like, you need to pay for this. Like, it's wrong. And though, listen, that is certainly the way of the world. It is not the way of Jesus. Because the way of Jesus is about making a conscious decision when you are hurt to, rather than making someone pay for their sins, to actually release them from the debt that they have accrued against you. And that's the first step to forgiveness. It's making a decision to release. And the second thing is when you understand the second part of this definition, it's not only making a decision to release the person, but when you forgive, you make a decision to love the person. Now, this is really hard. This is really hard. In the word of Lewis Smeeds, you know that forgiveness has began when you recall those who hurt you and you feel the power to wish them well. Put another way, even in situations where reconciliation may not be possible, if you have truly forgiven the one who has hurt you, listen, you go from secretly celebrating their failure to actually wishing them well. 
You go from a place where secretly you want to see them experience punishment and judgment and failure and all of that stuff to actually experiencing the same grace and mercy that you yourself have received. I think of the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. In verse 43, he says this, You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may then be children of your Father in heaven. I wish this was easy. I know it's not. But what we need to understand is, guys, this is a command in Scripture. And because it is a command, please hear me, what that means is it's possible. No matter what your situation is, Jesus would never command you to do anything that is not possible, which means no matter who you are or where you come from or what has happened to you, you can right now choose the power of the Holy Spirit to forgive the people who have hurt you, to release them and to love them. Whenever I was 18 years old, uh, my dad was a pastor and we went through just this horrific church split. Um, Adam was actually a part of the church. We, we were in the same youth group together, and so you remember this stuff, how nasty it got. And, um, there was a, an image I have in my mind where I came home one day from my friends. It was such an embarrassing deal. We walk in the door, and there are two men from the church that are in our living room. And, um, man, they're just they're slandering my mom and my dad. And they look at us, and they begin to, 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 to accuse me of things that had never even happened. They then went on and got a lawyer, and they threatened the church and said that if my dad ever stepped foot back into that church building, they would sue the entire church. And it became so ugly. These are men that I respected, men that I thought were like strong men of God. And, and so when this happened, as you could imagine, as an 18-year-old, I mean, this just left a very bitter taste in my mouth. And it became such a hard thing for me that if I even saw these people in Walmart, like my whole stomach would begin to turn. I just literally would feel nauseous. I would go the other way if I saw them in public. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know if anybody's ever hurt you in that way. Um, but I, I would literally even find myself praying that, God, I hope that church never makes it because of what they did to my dad. I hope that church shuts it door, shuts their doors. I hope you never bless anything they do over there. I hope all those people just literally, they, they suffer because of the suffering they caused us. And this went on for a couple of years, and, I, and I'm thankful to say that by God's grace, that upon giving my life to Jesus, that God has released me from all of that. And to this day, I have communication with some of them. Uh, I, I truly have released them from everything they've done. I've loved them. Like, I want to see this church prosper. Adam and I, matter of fact, remember, we went by the church not long ago to try to talk with the pastor there and... and, and I truly have come to this place by God's grace. And I share that to say this. I know that my situation, it pales in comparison to the pain and hurt some of you have experienced. But what I want you to hear this morning is this. Though forgiving will absolutely cost you, choosing not to forgive is going to cost you so much more. So much more. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, the writer of Hebrews says this, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. And that no bitter root grows up and causes trouble and defiles many. As I read that this week, I thought about uh, my garden and my backyard. I've got four raised garden beds. And every single day, I actually have to go out to my garden and pick out weeds. Because if I don't, those weeds will actually uh, take deeper roots. They will spread and they will choke the life out of everything that's around it. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is this is the way it works with bitterness. It literally is like a, a weed that will take root in your heart and it will choke your life out. 
And it's not just the writer of Hebrews saying this. There is tons of research on this. For example, according to the Stanford Forgiveness Project, there were some doctors and psychologists from Stanford that did a study on this. Here's what they, uh, well, here's what their conclusion was. Although the act may not come naturally to us, research has shown that learning to forgive lessens the amount of hurt, anger, stress, and depression people experience. People who learn to forgive also become more hopeful, optimistic, and compassionate. Forgiveness also has physical health benefits. People who learn to forgive report significantly fewer symptoms, stress such as backache, muscle tension, dizziness, headaches, and upset stomachs. In addition, people report improvements in appetite, sleep patterns, energy, and general well-being. Isn't that incredible? Um, and they're not the only ones that say this. The Mayo Clinic, go to the Mayo Clinic, this is the exact same thing according to their study. It says forgiveness leads to healthier relationships, greater spiritual and psychological well-being, less anxiety, less stress, less hostility, lower blood pressure, fewer symptoms of depression, and even a lower risk of alcohol and substance abuse. So again, like research after research, go and study it for yourself. What they are all saying is forgiveness is absolutely a vital part of experiencing your healthy existence. We're on the flip side of that. The opposite of forgiveness, which is bitterness, will wreck you. It will literally eat at you like a cancer. In the words of the writer of Hebrews, it will defile you. And here's what's so sobering. Please hear me, guys. It will not just defile you. The writer of Hebrews, Hebrews says it will defile many. Which means when bitterness takes root in your heart, it does not just hurt you. It hurts your family. It hurts your kids. It hurts your friends. It hurts the church. Right? Like whenever you let bitterness stay in your heart, it wreaks havoc not only on your life, but the life of those around you. And therefore, because that is true, this is a practice that we all need in our lives. And unfortunately, listen... Unlike the rest of the practices, it's actually a practice that gets harder the older you get. Um, one of the best uh, books that I've read in the past few years is a book called Sacred Fire by Ronald Roheiser, which is just a book on how to follow Jesus in the middle ages of your life. And he says, when you're young, the greatest temptation is lust, but the older you get, the greater the temptation is of bitterness. And he goes on and he says this, the major task, therefore, in the second half of life is to forgive. We all arrive at midlife wounded and not having had exactly the life in which we dreamed. There's a disappointment and anger inside every one of us. And unless we find it in ourselves to forgive, we will die bitter and unready for the heavenly banquet. Put another way, um, because bitterness, in the words of C.S. Lewis, is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. When you hold on to bitterness, it not only will keep you from right now living well, but it'll also keep you from ending well. And you know this is true if you've ever been around old people. Okay, and I'll let you decide who old people are in the room. Okay, we'll make that a subjective statement. Because there are some old people, like when you're around them, like they're just, they're awesome. Like they're a lot of fun. They're warm. They're light. They're passionate. I was thinking about Bill Fisher this past week. He's kind of become like a mentor to me. Bill's 82 uh, years old. He runs three miles still every single morning. Um, he is like curious and he has wonder and passion in his eyes. He loves Jesus. He loves people. He's generous. Uh, just yesterday we were having a good conversation where he was, he was encouraging me. So there are old people out there like Bill who are awesome. And then, you know, there are also like old people who are really cold and grouchy and are like, put that remote back where you got it. You know, like, 
And unless something changes, they're either going to die a crotchety old woman or an angry old man. And I was talking to, to Bill Becker about this past week. Bill, uh, over here in the second row, in case you wonder what he looks like. Hey, Bill, good to see you. Um, Bill's a member in our church, and he works for hospice. And he was telling me just this past week, he said, man, when people die with bitterness in their heart, almost every single time they die, not only, not only do they experience more pain and agony, but those around them also experience more pain and agony. So he says, man, I walk into a room. One of the things I'm always trying to do is make sure, is there any bitterness in your heart? Is there anybody that you need to forgive? So this is very important. If you have bitterness in your heart, listen, guys, you are not only going to not live well, you are not going to end well. This is not going to go away. And that's the bad news, but here's the good news. It does not have to be this way. Though we all encounter pain and hurt in this life, you have a choice of how you want to deal with that pain. Again, there are two very different types of people you can become. Lighthearted, warm, passionate, fun to be around, or someone who's just like, golly, cynical, cold, hard-hearted. They write you off as soon as you do one thing they don't like. Two very different people, and you get there on two very different paths. One is a broad path that many will find is the path of bitterness, and in the end it's going to lead to destruction. It'll kill you. And the other one is a narrow path that few people are going to walk on in this world, but it's the path of forgiveness. And Jesus said, in the end, it leads to life full life, abundant life. And therefore, because that is true, this is a practice that none of us can opt out on. And so with that being said, as we said, this is a practicing series. So this week, uh, here's what our practice is. And by the way, uh, this is a new uh, feature. If you go to your phone, I don't know if you have the Bible app on there. You go to the Bible app on your phone, you version. You go down here to where it says more to the right. You go to events. You find fellowship, Paragold. There we are. All the sermon notes are on there along with this week's practice. So you can go and access this today. Make sure that you're following that. You'll work through it in your missional community. And by the way, I just want to say this. If you're not in a missional community, I want to encourage you to get in one. What you see here is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, This is by no means the best part of our church. Trust me. It's important. But we believe uh, the most important part of our church is not hundreds of people around a stage, but it's a few people who are around a table. Who are seeking to live as family, working this out. And so this week, in our missional communities, the practice is going to be this. First, what I'm going to encourage you to do as pastors is we want you to reflect on forgiveness. To reflect on forgiveness. Um, reflect on the forgiveness that you have received from God. For me, just last night even, I was thinking about where I was whenever Christ saved me. I was 20 and just remembered again the grace that he's poured out on me and continues to pour out. And then listen, because God's grace and forgiveness is manifested a lot of times through people, through relationships, I would encourage you, don't just reflect on forgiveness you've received from God, but reflect on the forgiveness you've received from others. Think about the time that you have also sinned against other people and what it felt like for them to, rather than holding your sins against you, to forgive you and to show you grace and mercy. Secondly, this week we encourage you to take time to give gratitude, to actually spend time thanking God for the grace that he's poured out to you. Not let that become old news. And then also, maybe you've not done this, but if someone has forgiven you, you might even want to reach back out to them and say, hey, I just want to thank you again. I totally screwed up in that moment. I totally hurt you. I totally like broke this area in your life, and I I get that, and you could have held that against me. I just want to thank you so much for showing me forgiveness. And then lastly, if you're ready, we would encourage you to actually take time this week to grant forgiveness. 
to grant forgiveness. So set aside time this week and ask the Spirit, is there any bitterness in my heart? Is there anything in there? Is anybody holding a grudge against? And, and honestly, like this morning, like just this morning, I had a dream last night about somebody that had a failure in my dream, and I was happy about it. When I woke up this morning, I felt the Spirit just say, like, yeah, because you're bitter towards that person. And so, like, this is something that, that God revealed in my heart even just this morning, that I had to practice this and preach this to myself. And so I would encourage you, if there's any bitterness in your heart, make that courageous step to release that person and to actually then love them, to want to see well in their life. And again, I know this isn't easy, and that's why this first step in the practice is so important. You cannot miss this. Because that is the motivating factor to love. There is nothing in the world that will give you a motivation to forgive others except for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because at the center of our faith, and there's a book called Amish Grace, by the way, that's about these school shootings. The Amish even said this, at the center of our faith is Jesus dying on the cross to forgive his murderers. And by the way, according to Martin Luther, and I would believe the Bible, it is our sins that nailed him there. So we are right there with the murderers. And before we ever did anything for God, he said, I am going to choose to forgive you through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You're going to have a chance to practice in just a moment by partaking of communion, by tearing off a piece of bread and dipping it in the juice. As you come this morning, I would encourage you, don't let this be a religious, empty activity where you just kind of check off your list and go about your week. As you tear off the bread, you dip it in the juice, I want you to literally say this to yourself, there is therefore now no condemnation. There is no condemnation. I'm fully forgiven because of what Jesus has accomplished for me. And feel that and taste that. For some of you in here today, though, listen, please hear me. We're about done. For some of you in here, if you're not a Christian, we would encourage you not to partake of this. This is just an empty ritual to you. Rather than receiving this bread and juice, we want to encourage you for the first time to receive forgiveness from Jesus. For some of you, listen, you are bitter in your heart right now towards someone else. And do you know Why? Because you have not fully received the forgiveness that comes from Jesus. And it's not because God is withholding that from you. It's just because you've not yet received it. And so today I would encourage you, if you have bitterness and you just have a hard heart and you're cynical and you're always just looking down on other people and you're judgmental, maybe, maybe it could be because you've never actually tasted forgiveness that comes from God that he is so ready to lavish on you right now. And if you've never received that forgiveness, I would encourage you to come and talk to me. You can talk to to Chuck or Luke or myself. And we would love to help you know what the best next step is to take. With that being said, I want to invite you to stand as the band comes forward. I want to pray for us. And then we'll partake of communion. Father, I thank you so much for uh, everyone who is here today. You see them. They are not lost in the crowd. Uh, You care deeply for them. God, I thank you that that every single day, that even I, that I screw up every single day. That I know what's right and I don't do it. I sin against others. I sin most importantly against you and you're so quick to forgive. I pray that you would remind all of us of your forgiveness right now as we partake of communion. If there is somebody here right now, God, for whatever reason, they have just not forgiven themselves, they've not forgiven others because they truly do not believe that you have forgiven them, would you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, help them to see just how gracious and good and kind that you are, not just to the world, but to them as an individual. And I pray, Father, they would receive that. And as a result, they would experience more of you in the life you've created them to live. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.